we were thinking of selling the company back in 2016. Bitcoin was at its peak in, I think, January 2014 or so, $1,200. And over the next two years, it went down to $300. Uh, there was no advertiser. There were no new people coming into the space. We felt at one point that everybody, a lot of companies at that stage were kind of dying and we wanted to sell the company as well. No, nobody in the crypto space had any cash to buy a company. There was a blessing in disguise, I suppose, uh, because not selling the company because there wasn't any buyer was a good thing because wouldn't be here between CoinGecko if we had found a successful buyer back then. Hello friends, welcome back to ASEAN Tech Leaders where I have heart-to-heart -heart conversations with tech leaders here in Southeast Asia to uncover the lessons that can help us to accelerate our growth, ride the tech wave and achieve success in our professional and personal lives. What you're about to hear is a conversation that I had with co-founder of CoinGecko, Bobby Ong. Founded in Malaysia, CoinGecko is the world largest independent cryptocurrency data aggregator with over 150 million page views per month at time of recording. The fascinating thing about this is that he built such a high-growth company without venture capital funding, while maintaining a great culture as seen by their 4.6 stars glass door rating and 100% CEO approval. We discussed about his journey so far, how to maintain conviction during the hardest of times when many people around you are just doubting you, and the secrets to building a great team and culture. I hope you enjoyed this conversation between Bobby and I. Hi Bobby, thanks so much for joining us today. Um, really glad to finally see you in person after following your Twitter page for such a long time. Pleasure, pleasure. I'm glad to be on this podcast today. So uh, I'm sure you didn't like, you know, decide when you were five years old, like, hey, I'm going to start like, you know, one of the world largest crypto data aggregator, right? So what were kind of like your aspirations when you were younger? And how did that evolve over time to lead you to start um, CoinGecko? Could you walk us through your life story? Yeah, sure. I mean, I guess, I mean, crypto wasn't really on a, it wasn't, wasn't invented as well when I was five years old. So I guess that's definitely not the case. Um, I think, uh, I guess when I was younger, I guess a lot, I guess the traditional Asian thing to do was to kind of study hard and, and go to good schools and, 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 and I guess be a doctor, right? So everybody had to say it's a good job to have to be a doctor. But over the years, as I grew older, I realized that maybe, maybe medicine is not really my thing. I, um, the time commitment and the required and Odd hours working in the hospitals not really my thing. So I think as I grow up, I I kind of decided I, I probably enjoyed uh, entrepreneurship more, doing doing business and also, um, so I think I guess things really um, for me I really knew I wanted to be in the tech industry sometime in university or so. So I guess the question was okay if I'm going to be going to be going down the business route like what's probably the fastest growing area with the highest impact. And everything seems to gravitate towards tech. So I think sometime in my late teenage years and, and uh, in, in university, junior college and university, you know, I started realizing that, okay, I'm definitely going down the tech route, um, start a tech company and, and see how things go because that seems to be the way to build a global company with you know, large revenues and, and impact for many million use of your users. I think... Crypto wasn't a thing, so I graduated bachelor of a degree in economics in 2012, um, and I discovered Bitcoin in 2013. So, and I, I guess, kind of coincidental. I always knew I wanted to be in the tech industry. So I've, in my final year of uni, I read up a lot of um, the tech movements. So back then was the Lean Startup book by Eric Ries. I listened to one of his talk in in, in the UK as well. Uh, and uh, there was like the 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 Alex Osterwater, the startup business model business model canvas as well. I was learning all those things, so like, like trying out different ideas on what could fit in and all. 
I guess crypto kind of came in uh, quite coincidentally. Uh, as I said, after I graduated in 2012, I discovered Bitcoin in 2013. And um, it almost felt that my degree was obsolete in a sense that I've learned. So I spent three years of university in the UK, uh, in London, supposedly one of the best unis, learning about how the money system, monetary system works. And then right after uni, I spent some time on, because I was learning how to code and all, I spent some time on Hacker News. And a lot of the top postings on Hacker News were about Bitcoin and how this is the new form of money and how the tech engineers were saying that this is going to revolutionize the financial system. Coming out of uni, I realized that I was really surprised or perplexed why did my lecturers not talk or mention Bitcoin at all. And I thought like, you know what, like I'm fresh out of uni, what's the worst that could happen? Like, let me just read the white paper. Let me just buy some Bitcoin and kind of move it around and see what happened. The worst that happens is I just lose my money, whatever that I put in. And if, if not, then this could be something interesting. So I kind of bought my first Bitcoin back then. Uh, very shady way of buying. I use uh, local Bitcoins kind of basically... Uh, it's like an eBay that matches you with a potential seller and like how, how it is on eBay it just says like there's no okay there's some escrow I suppose but it says okay send your money to this some random bank account someone's bank account somewhere and I just send the money over and hopefully the, the, the Bitcoin appears in my account so it, it did appear uh, and then when I move the money to my own wallet to my own non-custodial wallet that's when I realized I think this is different right like, like for the first time ever you could kind of um have full control of your money. The government cannot seize your money. Like if you have money in the bank, like just with, and we have seen these days with the Russian sanctions, like the governments can do a lot of things like financialize. They can weaponize the financial system against you if they want it to. But, but crypto, they couldn't, no one could seize it away from you if you have full control of it. So that, that was fascinating to me because I've heard a lot of stories growing up about how entrepreneurs build their businesses and use PayPal as a form of way to collect funds, but just wake up one day and have PayPal sending them email, say, hey, we have reason to believe that you're, you're, you have some suspicious transaction. I'm going to freeze your PayPal account. And whatever money that you have in that account is frozen. Your business doesn't work. And that to me was like a horror story. I didn't want to, I mean, I didn't go through that, but I've read enough stories to kind of know that that is kind of a pretty uh, tough situation to be in. So I guess that that was kind of like why I saw a lot of reason to have sovereign bread money, to have full control of your of your funds and, and Bitcoin was was one of the things. Uh, so I guess the idea was when I read Hacker News and I saw all these tech entrepreneurs or, or news articles about this new form of money, I, I thought that, you know, the tech guys in Silicon Valley, the VCs over there, they are generally a few years ahead of the curve. And if these guys are talking about Bitcoin or crypto, like there could be something in it. Uh, I guess back in 2012 or 2013, everybody was kind of looking to build a, a SaaS startup, I suppose. But um, nothing really interests me. But, but crypto, because I come from a econ's background, it really interested me. And then, I mean, I spent on the rabbit hole and then I guess the rest is, uh, is, is, is history, I suppose, yeah. Do agree and identify with what you have shared as well, because personally, I myself decided to, you know, enter tech industry for the same reasons as you, you know, looking at something that is growing fast, having high impact, and also notice that uh, my peers who went to the US to study and also the news that I read from US were really much more ahead of like what was happening here in Southeast Asia as well. So it's, it's nice that we have that kind of like commonality. Um, thank you so much for sharing, you know, that part of your journey and like how you really started to, you know, get into this whole crypto space. I'm curious to understand like, you know, when it comes to CoinGecko, what was the problem in the industry that you were trying to solve? Yeah, so I think... 
I think for a lot of people, like we, we first hear about Bitcoin as kind of like the first cryptocurrency and then, okay, so that's the price of Bitcoin. It's interesting. And then later on, you'll probably hear that there are two or three other cryptocurrencies. So you probably hear about Ethereum and then, um, and a bunch of different currencies. So back in my time, back in those days, there was all the other forks of Bitcoin. So all the other proof of work coins. So the things like Litecoin, Peercoin, and so on. I guess, um, the question that I had back then was, what are the differences between these coins? Why should I care about these coins? How are the, these coins growing with respect to Bitcoin? Are there any fundamental value in these things? So we wanted to build a website that basically tracks all this information. So we wanted to see what's kind of the growth of the community. Are there any code development on GitHub, for example? So we kind of pulled in place uh, Reddit stats, uh, uh, GitHub and so on. We don't really focus on that these days, but but basically, if you these days, the problem that CoinGecko is trying to solve is that uh, basically is a one-stop shop, a one-stop center to kind of get information on all cryptocurrencies. So the vision that we have is that if you think about crypto as being uh, game-changing, and 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 I like to give the analogy that um, the internet has software. I mean, Mark Andreessen has said that software is eating the world. I think that blockchain is even going to eat the world as we are going to revolutionize everything. So if you think about the, the industry that we are in, like 20 years ago, like nothing's kind of connected to the internet. But these days, anything, everything that we do is kind of revolve around the internet in one way or another. another. So I think crypto is going to be the case as well in the next 20 years. So what we are seeing is a, a 20 years growth trajectory in crypto that has started in 20, 2009 or 2012, if you may. So I feel that anything that can be tokenized will be tokenized. What this means is that in the future, in the next five, 10 years, who knows, there will be millions of tokens traded in the world and, and they will be uh, a pretty complex world uh, with so many different assets or crypto assets trading around. Just like how the financial system is kind of pretty complex these days, there are thousands of stock tickers. There are bonds, stocks, uh, whatever is uh, out, out there. There needs to be a place for people to kind of track their price of the assets uh, online. So that's kind of where Yahoo Finance and, and Investing.com, uh, I suppose, comes in and help you with your portfolio. We at CoinGecko feel that the problem that we're trying to solve is that with millions of crypto assets in the world, we they will people will get confused and they want to have a place to kind of get all their their the information on their assets in one single website, one single app. And that's what that is the problem that we are trying to solve. Basically, being this one platform whereby you can log in and then get information about all the different um, assets that are out there. Yeah, absolutely. So like the price, the market cap, the the, the, the price chart, the historical price. And then if you think about uh, apps like Yahoo Finance or, or metrics in the traditional finance world, you talk about PE ratio, PR ratio, and all these different ratios. They are not exactly transferable or comparable in crypto. There are some similarities in ratios as well. Um, so we want to bring them in. So people look into like trading volume over market cap, for example. People look at this concept, this, this, this metric called total value lock, which is the amount of crypto assets locked in a particular smart contract, for example. People look at market cap over TVL to kind of get some metrics. So it's not exactly a comparable PE, PR ratio. They are PE, PR ratios. Some people try to do that as well and compare. But, but, but crypto is kind of a new asset class that there will be new metrics created uh, they are all very different. They are cryptos kind of gone from just a one type of crypto like uh, Bitcoin as POW as a cryptocurrency to 
Ethereum as a smart contract platform, tokens issued on top of Ethereum things could be a lending platform on DeFi, like Aave or Compile to a stablecoin issue on Ethereum like USDC. And, and comparing USDC, which is a custodial stablecoin, versus Bitcoin, which is um, you know, fully decentralized cryptocurrencies, they're not really Apple. They're just not really comparable. They're apples and oranges, if you may. So the metrics that we use, crypto is getting more complex and you need to have more sectorial metrics to kind of compare against each other. Right. So it sounds like your team is actually thinking like, you know, a few years ahead, right? And then you mentioned like this whole 20 year horizon of how things are about to change in the future. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, just 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 fast forward. I mean, it's hard, kind of hard to imagine what the world will look like, but you can probably make some guesses on what it will be. It's kind of like what I would say. If you roll back the time to year 2000 or year 2010, can you imagine living in the year 2020 or 2022 for now and then having everyone's carrying a supercomputer in their pockets and you can, with a click of a button, call a taxi to come pick you up, uh, or not even a taxi, a grab, like a complete stranger coming to you, bringing you from A to B, and at night, just with another click of a button, staying in some complete stranger's house in an Airbnb. That sounds like a completely absurd idea in 2010 or 20, even 2000, but like, it's, this is what we're doing right now. So like the world's biggest taxi company doesn't even hold, have a single taxi. World's biggest hotel company doesn't have a single hotel. So to, very hard to kind of extrapolate what's going to happen in the year, in the year 2020, uh, 2020, 2030 or 2040. But if you think about all the, 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 the advancements, innovations that's happening in crypto, like a lot of these things are, Pretty, pretty crazy world that will have will come out in in, in the next ten years. I would say with crypto. Definitely, really excited for what the world would look like, right? In the next few years, given that how much things have you know improved, you know, in the technology space over the past uh, few years, and actually directly impacted and helped um, several people as well. So mm -hmm. we've spent quite a bit of time, you know, talking about like the future, right, and how you know we think the world will evolve. I want to take a step back and also look at the past because. CoinGecko has really come such a long way, becoming one of the world's largest crypto data aggregators with millions of visitors like every month. And I do recall that at its peak, um, you were actually around 600 million uh, visitors, right, to your website um, in a given month. So what surprised me when I was actually researching your organization was that, hey, you didn't raise any funds, you know, from VCs or anything. So could you walk us through um, the decision on why you chose a different path of not raising VC money when that is what a lot of tech companies would probably do, you know. And you 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 decided not to do it despite wanting to serve a global market. So I'm really curious to understand like a little bit more about your decision and how you arrived uh, on that. Yeah, I guess there's a few reasons why why this came about. So I guess I guess the first thing was we actually spoke to a few reasons, not not actively fundraising back in 2013, but we spoke to this about this idea in 2013 to a few folks. And none of the VCs, none of the investors really understood what we were talking about. Like, like, they just don't get crypto at all. They just think crypto is kind of a scam. And if you remember the narrative around Bitcoin or crypto back in 2013, 2014, it was just, yeah, or... There's, there's no use case for crypto. Crypto is only used by drug dealers to, or people who want to buy drugs on the Silk Road, for example. That, that was the narrative and, and no one wanted to touch or do anything with crypto. I mean, things have changed significantly since then, which is good. But, but my thesis, my belief hasn't really changed since then. Uh, but, but none of the investors really understood things back then. So, so they, I mean, we just struck off. Like we, we, went, to, to, we went on a, on a program by the, the Malaysian government sent us to Magic to kind of to, to Stanford. We spoke to some professors in Stanford. None of them understood crypto as well. I mean, all of them just... Yeah, we just that not many investors understood crypto. There were some early investors in the crypto space who understood it, but but they're all in the US. Uh, I think a couple of things as well. We were also this wasn't really our full time thing. I think the crypto market in twenty thirteen to 
2014 to 2017 or so was pretty small that um that 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 we weren't really it was hard to kind of make this a full-time thing and hire people so tm and i we kind of started coin gecko in april 2014 and we kept this kind of as a side hustle or a side project if you may and we kind of kept this going for a good three and a three years plus i would say we only so we kept we kept our jobs and kind of kept this as a part-time thing. We, we, we left our job sometime in 2017 and kind of focused on this during the, the ICO bull run. So, so I think we always knew crypto is going to be big, but at, in 2014, 2016, 2017, it was still very small. It was such a niche industry that no one, uh, it's hard to sustain a team. I think what we've also noticed was that um, when someone raises money from, crypt, uh, from, from VCs, like the, you typically get anywhere between 18 to 24 months of runway. And crypto is an industry that is extremely volatile and the, the cycle between its peak and trial is um, the peak to the next peak is anywhere between three to four years, which basically which practic practically follows the Bitcoin halving cycle, which happens every four years. Uh, what we notice a lot of, 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 of our friends or people, we say people who raised money back in 2013, 2014, 2014 especially, they all close up, close shop sometime in 2016 before the 2017 bull run came about. So not raising money forces us to, and there are benefits to not raising money. One is it forces you to be really creative in finding growth. I mean, if you raise money from VC, it's just very easy to, decide to just throw money uh, in paid advertising to grow because we didn't have the cash. We were forced to be creative to find new avenues for growth. Uh, because we did not raise money, we were forced to be very creative with uh, costs as well. We, we, we couldn't just go out and hire people. We had to you know, probably sacrifice growth uh, at some point. We, we had to be creative with how we spend our money. And, and I would say that, and I always like to quote this example from Airbnb. The Airbnb founders were almost out of cash uh, at one point in their journey and they actually created um conflicts zero boxes uh with captain mccain and uh for john mccain as a presidential run i can't remember who was the other presidential candidate and they were selling zero boxes uh to basically find money and and when you are staff for cash like you you will find ways to actually generate money or generate cash or 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 find ways to not 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 be extravagant. I mean, it almost sounds pretty crazy these days, especially seeing how the crypto industry has grown so much in the last uh, eight years, and and there's there are like multiple uh, multi million or multi billion dollar protocols with a lot of cash and throwing massive parties around. Uh, but yeah, this was the case. I think uh, having fiscal constraint, I suppose, uh, being disciplined in your expenditure is is kind of, I guess, a lesson that we took away from not raising money. I suppose, yeah. Sounds like, um, you know, there were quite a lot of factors that were influencing your decision. Number one, uh, really, like there were not many investors who kind of understood what you were doing at that point in time. And also, um, this wasn't a full-time thing for you until 2017. Yep, yep. Yeah, and furthermore, um, you, uh, you did look at your kind of business model and industry that you were in and felt that, you know, it might not be best suited for uh, venture capital. And I guess the, the fourth reason was that I wouldn't say that's really a little bit of reason, but I guess a byproduct, a positive like uh, outcome of that was that yep. you, you learn how to be really creative and also yep. to be disciplined about uh, your finances. Yeah, I think you summed it up very well. <laughs> Much better <laughs> than I did, actually. <laughs> so um, just curious, right? Because one point that you mentioned caught my attention, which is that you did this as a side gig first before going in full-time. When was the point that you decided to convert this into a full-time job? And also, what were the factors that you were considering at that point in time? 
Yeah, I think I think the 2017 uh, bull run was kind of the reason. So between 2014 to 2016 is a pretty depressing place in crypto, I would say. So this was a time when Bitcoin had its peak in that hit its peak of thousand two hundred dollars, and then the Mount Gox uh, hack well, shutdown happened, bankruptcy happened, and then Bitcoin went down the next couple of years from thousand two hundred dollars to. I think $300 at its lowest in the next cycle before eventually going back up. I remember being extreme. I remember being like a complete fool buying Bitcoin at $1,200 for a good two years. Um, and uh, when, when Bitcoin finally hit its, uh, uh, the previous high again in 2017, it reached $1,000 again in, I think, early 2017. I, I felt like, okay, yeah, finally, I get you. I'm not underwater again. Um, but yeah, I think, I think the and then 2017 was kind of a year where we see a massive change. A lot of uh, crypto newbies joining space, a lot of ICOs coming in. And we we didn't really put much effort into the website, but we just organically saw that the website's getting a lot more traffic over time. Um, and, and, and things started breaking. So we had to spend more time trying to fix things or add more coins, started seeing a lot more new tokens created. And, and over time, like realized that, okay, we could probably, um, because traffic increased significantly, we, we could make more revenue. Uh, and, and we were one of those uh, web, uh, companies in the crypto space that that got lucky with our, our business model, I suppose, because the web, website's mainly monetized via ads. And because of the hype of the ICO bull run, we get a lot of requests for ads. And uh, obviously, exchanges were also very actively recruiting for people back then. So we got a lot of uh, advertisers and that allowed us to, to get some, have some sense of uh, uh, revenue coming in such that we can quit our jobs and hire our first team member in, in, in 2018 to kind of grow things further. Wow, thanks for walking us through the decision. It's just quite um, you know, crazy to think that, oh, wow, you only had like your first team member in 2018. And then you and your partner were actually walk, working on this um, on a kind of like part-time side gig basis, you know, only, yeah. only for you guys to convert this to a full-time thing and then subsequently like grow to the stage where you are at right now. It's really impressive. Um, what were the kind I mean, of... Yeah, I mean, I always like to tell people like um, you always, if you are looking to do your own side gig, I mean, everyone's got 20 extra hours of free time on the weekends on and the weekdays. Like you have like one, two hours on the every day in the evening to do something. You have like another eight, four hours on the weekend. So you have roughly 20 hours. What do you do with the 20 hours? It's pretty... We'll, we'll kind of make or break your, your time, right? You can kind of choose to, you know, chill. You can kind of choose to hustle on your side project. And we chose to hustle. And, and I'll, I'll, one of the main metrics that I tell people if you're interested in building a site is to kind of build something, grow something, grow revenue such that it covers your your, your main job. And when, when your side hustle earns more money than your, your main job, like, you know, that's the time to leave. And, and that was practically the case for us. And, and uh, when we chose to kind of go full time, it was like, yeah, I mean, you know, we have enough money coming in to kind of not not risk too much uh, going into into building building building, building coin gecko, and and I would say that I think there's a lot of things that can be done without relying on full time employee. Everyone thinks I mean it's a vanity metric having like X number of uh, employees and companies just doesn't really do anything. Like you can have so many people doing nothing in the company, or you can have very little people doing a lot of things. I think relying on so it doesn't mean that because it's just TM and I building it doesn't mean that it's just two of us. There are contractors helping us on the side. Uh, so we have a bunch of different team members working on contract on an hourly basis, for example, just helping us run the various pieces of, of CoinGecko. And that really helped us uh, uh, solidify things. And over, over time, obviously, we have kind of moved most of the team members in. I mean, whoever that's the core, move things in-house, relying less on contractors. I mean, we still rely on quite a lot of contractors these days, but, but there are a lot of things that can be done on a contract basis as well. 
definitely. I think what you what you shared is really quite um valuable and useful, especially for those who are thinking of you know maybe doing something on the side and with the potential of converting it to something full time um, later on. But since you spoke about that, I'm quite curious because you mentioned spending twenty hours of your free time, you know, um, working on this side project, and you did this over a span of three years. So what actually kept you going like during these three years, right? Um, you mentioned it was not easy, but you know, for you to still dedicate like about your free time to this must mean that you probably really have you know certain characteristics or a high level of conviction in, in whatever you were doing. Yeah, I would say conviction plays a big role. Um, um, it's not. I always felt that I was too young to take advantage of the internet cycle because I think anyone who's kind of in their twenties during the year twenty ten. Uh, no, maybe 20, 2000, I would say, would be very best positioned to kind of grow uh, and build a tech startup. And then what's next, right? So I think I was kind of in my 20s and, 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 and I think crypto is kind of a thing that I've always believed that it's going to be big. Uh, basically, anything that everything that we're seeing today uh, with Ethereum and DeFi and smart contracts and, and NFTs and all, it's all kind of encapsulated in white papers back in 2012, 2013. It was all these things that we're seeing today was kind of described in essay form. And I think reading this on what the potential uh, future can be with uh, blockchain technology in 2013-2014 kind of gave me a lot of conviction. I was reading a lot of essays written by Vitalik Buterin um, describing what Ethereum could do in the future. And he was writing this on BitcoinMagazine.com. This was all the early essays and all. Uh, there was white papers published on, on smart contracts and the future of, of crypto, NFTs and all. Um, I think reading about this, kind of envisioning the future, what the future would look like in 10 years' time, and then gives me a lot of conviction on what crypto can do in the future. So I think, I think Paul Graham was, was saying, like, if you want to kind of see what will be, sort of imagine what the future could be in 10 years' time and then kind of work backwards and kind of build towards that future. And, and kind of that was kind of a lesson that, that, that I took and kind of used to kind of see. Obviously, the future could be flawed. I mean, it's, who knows what the future would be? There could be many different directions of the future, but like this is one direction where the future could be. Totally believe in it, uh, read in it, and then just, I guess, bet on that future and, and go. Yeah, definitely. It sounds that um, conviction. It sounds like conviction in you know the the thesis that you have for the future is one of the critical things that made you successful. Um, what were some other things that you did that really worked well for you when it comes to scaling your company to this stage? Yeah, I think I think I think conviction comes from education, right? So to get conviction, you really need to dive deep on the specific technology, and um, and 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 just reading about. Bitcoin in the newspapers, in the mainstream papers those days, the Wall Street Journal or like, you know, Straits Times or whatever mainstream media outlet wasn't enough because the narrative that was published back then was all about, yeah, Bitcoin's illegal, used by drug dealers and all. Got to go really deep into the cutting edge of the technology. What is happening in the space at this point in time? And if you ask me what is the cutting edge of crypto right now, it's no longer Bitcoin, right? Like, I mean, there are something, even Bitcoin will probably be on a lightning network, for example. I mean, you'll be cutting edge on like music NFTs, on social tokens. Those are the cutting edge. There's a lot of things going on. So I would say like, and I try to do this as well, like try to really stay up to date and, and really understand things. And then I think, I think in crypto is one of those things where it's very easy to read about certain things, but things are very abstract. So the only way to really understand things is to play around with all the protocols. I, I always tell people, you got to spend money to learn. You got to invest uh i guess 
execution money as opposed you got to like be prepared to lose money because if you never play with the protocol and just read secondary sources uh it's always very hard to to understand things properly um yeah come back to your question on what else work uh for us uh i think we got lucky really i mean and a lot of people like to say that they they, they are good they're disciplined whatever but i think i think luck played a, a very big factor for us um we got in at the right place at right time uh crypto is one of those industry where it embraces a remote working culture a global uh, decentralized future i suppose in a sense that if you think about building a crypto or building a tech startup in the year 2013 or so everybody the only way to really build it back then was to kind of move to silicon valley and raise a large round and then and then build it from the us uh but tm and i we, did, we weren't really keen on moving to the us we wanted to stay in malaysia kl i mean that's where i'm from and um crypto is one of those industries where it's a global industry everybody kind of wants to see the same thing uses the same thing and they don't discriminate where people are from it doesn't really matter that we are based in malaysia building a website for the global audience nobody really cared nobody really asked us that we are where we are from they just you know if you build something good people will, will use them um but i think i think we got lucky in the sense massive massive luck um i think crypto is one of those things that that also doesn't really discriminate uh for some i think SaaS some extent is, is that as well like your, your software can be used in many different uh countries but for some software the very country specific uh i guess if you want to build like uh like uh i mean i guess food track uh food review apps and all like like you got to be on the ground you have you can build a grab you can't it's not global you got to it's very there's a lot of like physical presence required in each city to kind of grow that network whereas in crypto uh that physical presence isn't required the network effect is built purely entirely online and i think that 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 really uh was lucky first obviously a lot of other factors come into play but but those are the things that that allowed us to kind of grow from where we are i find that you know you're very humble to credit like about of this to luck um but of course i don't want to discredit like you know the things that you have done as well was there something that or maybe a perhaps a decision you made or a way of doing things that your team did that helped you to really you know scale this company and you know take it to what it is today without I think, funding I think, I think i think some of the biggest um um turning point came in the year 2020 i would say um so this is when um a couple of things happened in 2020 uh, so one was binance acquired our biggest competitor coin market cap uh, nobody knows how much they acquired for but rumor had is 400 million dollars and the second and the second thing was happened in 2020 was the growth of DeFi. So I talk on the first point. Uh, when 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 Binance acquired CoinMarketCap, uh, a lot of people felt that Binance uh, became too powerful in the industry, and a lot of people were looking for an alternative uh, crypto data tracker. I guess we were just at the right place at the right time. We just happened to be the second largest aggregator at a point, and and we were independent we were not owned by any exchange so people a lot of them just kind of flock and migrated over to us so that really helped our growth in 2020. Um, obviously getting to position number two uh, is kind of important as well and we had the last 2018 to 2020 to clear up all our technical debt that we've accumulated from 2014 I suppose that allowed us to kind of be at the right place at the right time. The second thing that came out in in 2020 was the growth of DeFi, uh, decentralized finance and uh, for those of you who are not familiar what DeFi is, uh, it's basically building financial services on the blockchain in a decentralized manner. So you can think about like lending and borrowing protocols, uh, building a bank functionality on the chain so you can borrow 
and, and get approval instantly without any bank officers, you know, stamp of approval, for example. Yeah, decentralized stable coins being created. There are decentralized exchanges created. So you think of it of, 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 a, of a decentralized Binance or Coinbase, if you may. And uh, a lot of these things came about and um, and this is pretty much uh, something, something that happens in crypto very frequently. Um, so one of the things that happened was a lot of these new tokens, uh, Uniswap is a decentralized exchange uh, that came out uh, in 2020 and it became really popular because for the first time ever, like anybody could get their ERC20 tokens listed on the DEX uh, without getting any approval. Previously before Uniswap, like everyone's got to get the stamp of approval from a centralized exchange and you know you either got to get uh you got to know someone you got to go through a listing procedure on binance or one of the hundreds of different crypto ex centralized exchanges and it costs money it costs time it costs effort but with uniswap anybody could kind of create a market and have their tokens listed and traded instantaneously uh uniswap is a decentralized exchange and there wasn't any api provided by the, the exchange so CoinGecko is built in uh, historically as a way to, we, we get our data from centralized exchanges. So we use the APIs provided by centralized exchanges to kind of consume and show the price on CoinGecko. But when a decentralized exchange came about, like there wasn't any API provided by the decentralized exchange. All the transactions happen on chain. And, and when we asked that, hey guys, can you guys, do you guys have an API that we can kind of use to show the price on CoinGecko? And they say like, yeah, just get the data on chain. Just read the Ethereum blockchain and get the price. Sounds very easy, but like uh, to say that, but to actually go out and get these things wasn't very easy. So we had to put in some effort to uh, TM mainly put in the effort set in to really try to understand how do we get this information from the chain and putting it onto CoinGecko. Eventually, we found a solution with this thing called a subgraph uh, provided by the graph protocol, and then we managed to get this aggregate, aggregate this information and put it on CoinGecko. So we were the first data aggregator to basically be able to track trades on a decentralized exchange called Uniswap. And because of that, we could add all the different tokens, DeFi tokens traded on, 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 on Uniswap. And, and we kind of uh, managed to have, for, for a period of six months or so, I think six to nine months, I think we, we were the only platform in town where anybody who wants to track the price of these tokens, uh, they had to come to CoinGecko to use it. And that allowed us to grow very rapidly. And I think this is something that happens in crypto very frequently. Every six months to a year, like some new innovation, takes place in crypto and uh, whoever that is first to take advantage of the changes inherent in the crypto landscape stands to gain a lot of market share or and it could be many different things as well so if you think about it i i talk about the year 2020 where DeFi kind of kind of grew very rapidly in the year 2020 uh, uh uniswap is obviously the first but you have sushi swap and all the other balancer curve and all the other decentralized exchanges 2021 was a different year right what happened in 2021 was the growth of NFT. I guess we always knew that NFT is going to be big, but seeing it happen in real time in 2021 was kind of still mind-boggling. Uh, we were, I guess, a bit slow to take advantage of the of the NFT growth, but there was there are so many startups these days uh, that are basically tracking NFT market, trying to look at all the rarities and also, and and I would say that every year there's something new that comes out of crypto and the narrative change. So 20 2018, 2017 was the ICO bull run. So if you are like, there are websites coming out that tracks the ICO market. It comes and goes. Uh, 2019, 2020, 2019, I can't remember what came out. 2020 was well, DeFi. 2021 was NFT. Uh, what's coming up in 2022? No strong narrative this year yet. Uh, I guess it's going to be a flush year. Maybe 2020. Who, who knows what's going to happen in 2023? But it could be, well, be music NFTs, it could be social tokens. Who knows? But 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 yeah, every, every single year, there are new narratives coming out of crypto and, and insane growth trajectory and, and whoever that's first will be well positioned to take advantage of, of 
of things. My main takeaway about what you shared is really uh, in the crypto space, and I guess maybe in tech, you have to be fast, right? And to stay on top of trends because trends happen quickly. Um, yep, yep. And if you kind of move fast, you can actually gain quite a lot of market share, like how you did uh, when DeFi um, happened. And if you do not, um, then that actually sets you behind compared to your competitors. Yeah, I think I think you 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 said it well very well. Yeah, I think the innovation cycle in crypto just moves at like breakneck speed. I mean, if people say tech is fast, like I think crypto is much faster. Actually, speaking about change, right? This year, you know, you mentioned there's nothing too big um happening this year in crypto. But what I've been seeing a lot on Twitter is this word called the crypto winter, which you have kind of touched on um slightly during your all hands uh, meeting. And what really impressed me was that I think it was around in May or so you actually posted this tweet, um, you know, sharing about, you know, what was covered during this all-hands meeting and how your company intends to respond during this um, bear market. Okay, wait, just for context, for those who are listening or watching to, watching this, um, Bobby actually posted uh, a tweet which says that, like, hey, we had our Monday town hall in CoinGecko. Some of the questions asked during the all-hands were, how is CoinGecko preparing for the bear market? Are we planning for layoffs? And our opinion on the bear market. And you did, like, detail your response um, in these uh, tweets as well. And I'm going to share the tweet links in the description so that all of you will be able to access it. Why do you see the need to announce this um, publicly? Like, you know, because you don't have any investors and you're not like a publicly listed um, company. What were some of the factors that were guiding your decision to, to post this? Yeah, I think, I think what I wrote, um, I, I just wanted to share my thoughts with the broader market in general. And I think that, I, I, I mean, I, I realized over the years that uh, initially, when I was younger in the crypto space, like my thoughts, I thought that, you know, I, I'm who, who cares what I think. But over the years, I realized that actually my thoughts are, are pretty useful and I just, uh, people find them uh, beneficial to know how, I, how I'm thinking about things. So I started sharing more actively on Twitter. And, and when, when, when during the, the Terra Luna crash, and that's pretty insane how, like, I don't know, $20 billion cryptocurrency went to zero in just a week. Uh, a lot of people, especially new joiners in crypto, were, were really lost on what's going on. And I think, uh, a lot of people haven't really seen the, the the bull and bust cycle of crypto. And I've seen like, this is my third cycle going through the bear market. And I kind of experienced, I kind of know, or maybe kind of roughly know how things will be. And I thought that, um, I thought it would be beneficial to share uh, what what I just shared with my team. I mean, there, there are a couple of things that happened in, in this was in, Mar in May, in May. So, uh, it was micro-driven. Uh, Terra Luna was the trigger, but this was at the backdrop of a lot of macro crises, uh, the war in Russia and Ukraine, interest rate. Uh, these are knowledge, I guess, I collected from my from my university education economics, and I thought that may, not many people, some who don't study this may find it completely talks about interest rate and inflation, the, the relationship between them. Like, I mean, not everybody knows them, so I thought I would share them. And I just generally sharing what is happening in the market. Like, I mean, I read things, valuations in the crypto industry, uh, what we've seen is valuations, the, the price earning, price revenue multiplier uh, have, 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 have compressed significantly from 25x just six months ago to less than 10x to 5x roughly. So if you are a company raising at like a billion dollars just six months ago, because of the valuation uh, multiple compression, like now you're probably just worth $200 million, even though fundamentally nothing has changed with your company. In fact, you may be doing more revenue, you may be more profitable, but your valuation could still go down because of the of the market and, and there's not much you can do because everyone's kind of a price taker uh the public markets affect the private market and so on um so i just wanted to share uh how we go about it and and i mean there are some 
nuances with us being a private company, uh, without any fund, without any VC. But but some of the 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 the, the lessons still apply, and I thought like you know I just want to share like it could be beneficial to to other people in the space. It could be beneficial to people working in the crypto or tech industry. It could be beneficial for other entrepreneurs building in the crypto or tech space. And I thought like, you know, let me just share. I mean, if people find it useful, then that's good. If not, that's fine. So people seem to find it useful. And I guess that, that's a good thing, I suppose. I see. So it was coming from a really good place of, you know, really wanting to help um, some of the people out there who are new to this space and who are lost. And of course, to, you know, really like assure them and, and share your perspective yeah. of what is going on or so. Over time, I realized that that a lot of people keep asking me kind of the same question. So it's probably just easier to just write a tweet thread. And if I get the same question again, I just share that thread over and like, here's my answer. I've already written down. And I think writing helps with your thinking as well. What I realized, uh, I, I like writing. I used to write a lot of blog posts, but I kind of cut them down significantly uh, over the last, I don't know, last time I wrote a blog was eight years ago. But like, I think I, I like Twitter threads because 140 characters really forces me to be... Uh, you know, just get to the point. There's no fluff. Just like you have every every tweet's got to be like uh, catchy and punchy. It must go to the point. Actually, why are you saying this? Yeah. Yeah. So for those of you who are on Twitter and want to follow Bobby, I'm going to include his link in the description as well. I think he has over forty thousand uh, followers right now, and I think it'd be a great to great place to get updated on what is happening in the scene. When I was looking at your tweet, another thing that I was thinking about was from the perspective of transparency, right? Because you are really like open and you know not hiding. Um, your thoughts and also what is happening in the company and also the industry, which got me curious, like, hey, if a leader cares about, like, um, transparency, probably, um, you know, that's really a good sign, right, uh, for any company. So I went to stop your glass door <laughs> and I was really, like, blown away by the, the numbers, right? Uh, we have a 4.6 stars on glass doors and 100% approval for your leadership, which is not numbers that I see in, you know, many companies in Malaysia or even in Southeast Asia. And you've covered in a few interviews that you think that great culture is really important and you have walked the talk clearly. So what are some principles and actionable steps that you know you feel that leaders can take to build a good culture? It would be wonderful if you could share some examples as well so that we can all learn from you, especially for aspiring leaders who are listening to this. Yeah, I think, I think in general, um, I, I, I kind of imagine building a company or a workplace where uh, that is... That is that is place that I want to be working in. I don't want to be working in a place where I I mean it's a pretty crappy. Who, who wants to work in a place where it's pretty shitty, right? The culture. So him and I, we want to build a place where we feel that this is a place that if we were to work here, like this is a place that we can grow, we can prosper, for example. And a lot of things comes down to transparency, right? Being open, and that's one of our values. Uh, we have five values in CoinGecko, and and uh, I mean we we kind of use GECKO as kind of our, our our company core values, I suppose. I mean. Okay, get stuff done, being empathetic, uh, excellent communication, Kaizen, and being open. Uh, I think a lot of things, uh, a lot of HR-related issues comes from uh, opacity in the space. Uh, nobody knows what's going on at the top. Nobody, and, and, and people get uh, envious. For example, simple thing, we have a pretty much transparent, uh, we have a transparent salary calculator where uh, anyone that comes in at a particular level you know, you will get the same salary as the other person. So you don't need to be worried that your peer is getting paid more than you because uh, he or she is better at negotiating a salary with you. And we do know from, um, from, from studies that male employees is generally better at negotiating salaries. So what we always find is that there is a gender disparity, gender gap between male and female employees. 
for doing the same job. Uh, what we say is like, you know what? Here's the salary we want to pay above market rate in uh, in CoinGecko, and 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 if you, if you come in at this particular level and particular uh, you know of a job, if you do at this perform at that level, we'll pay you a certain rate. This rate, regardless if you're a guy or girl, so that's or whatever race or religion doesn't really matter because that's what you perform at. And when when, when things are clear, when people know what's the promotion opportunity and a coin gecko, we, we tell people like, you know, um, your career progression is in your hands. Um, it's not your manager's job to kind of bring you out for promotion. You have to demonstrate and show and prepare your promotion document. And anybody can kind of submit their, their promotion document, obviously, with the, after discussing with the managers for, for consideration every quarter. And so, yeah, generally, that's kind of what 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 I would say, I think just being open uh, solves a lot of problems. Because if you're not open, eventually information leak out and then you can't control narrative and all kinds of rumors will circulate about. And, and things just, when, when, when things are not open, like whatever news or, or information that leaks out will generally take on a negative tilt. And um, so why, why bother with it if you can be open and transparent and not have all these problems, for example. I don't know if I'm, explaining things well but yeah <laughs> no I, I completely get it and uh, I think it's really uh, what you said right first of all I think it's empathy right do you want to uh, work in the workplace that you are creating right and then thinking from it from an employee and employer's perspective and the second part that you covered was really about transparency and it's um, how it's so critical right being open you know um, taking control of the um, the way information flows right and to make sure that you know everyone gets to see the same picture and as you were talking about this I was actually looking at the LinkedIn page and did realize that wow your team has grown so significantly, I think it was about 33 employees in September 2020. And now, two years on, it's like 90 employees. So yeah. We have about 55 these days, I would say. Yeah. Okay. I think probably some of X or interns or whatever, I guess. Yeah. About right. 55 full-time employees right now. Yeah. So your team has grown a lot um, from, you know, the three employees previously to now 55 um, employees. I'm curious to understand that, you know, as a team grows bigger, sometimes culture could get impacted. And furthermore, you have set up like a new office like outside of um, KL this year in Singapore. So what steps are you taking to ensure that, you know, culture is preserved? And also, what are some new challenges that you face when managing such a growing headcount? Yeah, I think, I think I wouldn't say that I know or have the answers to all this thing because this is still pretty new to me. So uh, if you're rightly pointed out, I think we started a year probably around 30 people or so, 33 or so at the start of the maybe January this year. And we kind of, almost two exercise to about 55 now. And we used to have everybody based in KL, in our office. Um, but I think COVID kind of changed things, realized like uh, there are some roles that we just couldn't find the talent in Malaysia and we had to hire in Singapore. So we now have a team of eight people in Singapore. We have an office. So this all happened this year. So we have basically two offices. Uh, obviously, there's no work from office kind of mandate from us. It's a very hybrid working culture. We have an office in Malaysia and Singapore. Uh, you, employees are free to come in any day that they want or work from home. And some of our team members, they they are not even in KL. They are other states of Malaysia, for example. We don't mandate them to come to KL or move to KL. So I think, I think it's a pretty flexible work from home culture. There is no reason why. If some people will find it more productive working from home, if that's uh, what you find most productive, you know, just work from home. Uh, we're not we're not going to mandate you coming to office. Some people find it more useful to kind of work late, start later in the morning and work later in the evening. That's fine with us as well. I mean, flexible working hours, flexible working work 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 location. Um, in terms, I think I think when it comes to culture, like I think being fair to the team members, being fair to employees, being the place where you want to work with. Uh, I think I think I think 
coming from that principle, that perspective really helps uh, in building a right culture. Uh, we definitely find that I think growing from 30 to 50, I think somewhere around 40 plus employee things start, uh, and I think a lot of other entrepreneurs will probably say as well, like things start getting difficult or tough, especially when it comes to go alignment, OKR setting, uh, communication, when, when the company hits around 40 plus employees. So we are, I wouldn't say we found a magic bullet yet, like, but we would, we are, we are trying to, trying to, to communicate things and improve uh, things internally as we scale towards uh, 50. I think, I think it helps that things are now in the crypto winter. So we, things are not as, not a mad rush as what it was six months ago. The urge to hire extremely aggressively to capture market uh, growth is not there as well at this point in time. So, so it allows us to kind of sit back and kind of work on what's important to build the, the right culture, right mindset, the right kind of thing that we, we want to see in CoinGecko. Speaking about hiring, um, because you have hired so many people over the past you know, one to two years, what have you learned about hiring that you wish you knew earlier? I, I, I guess I can describe like what we do at CoinGecko um, when it comes to hiring. So in the early days, because so what we realized was a lot of people say they want to work in crypto. And what we realized is a lot of these people these, uh, are kind of just tr chasing trends. They say they want to work in crypto, but they don't. They really don't want to put in an effort to kind of um, learn about crypto. And I've done a few interviews previously and, um, you know, sending the resume looks perfect on resume, coming for an interview, we have conversation. And, and very early on, after just five minutes, you kind of tell that they have no clue what they're talking about about uh, in, in crypto or, or Web3, for example. And one of the things that I realized uh, was that, you know what, let's get them to work on a presentation slide, uh, explaining some pretty hard comp uh, topic, for example, in crypto. So one of the assignments that we have is that, you know, depending on, on whether, what roles they're applying, but generally there is a crypto component. Uh, we do realize that people who have an interest in crypto generally perform better in the company compared to those who are not into crypto, but just have the technical knowledge. So we need to have the technical knowledge plus the crypto knowledge. So we do have a PowerPoint slide and say like, for example, explain what's the difference between proof of work versus proof of stake versus delegated proof of stake. Someone who, or, and, or, and then the second slide would be like, explain what is Bitcoin, explain what is Ethereum. Someone who, you know, doesn't really want to do the job, like, explain POS and POW. That's a pretty hard topic, for example. Like, we just drop off and like, okay, you just self-filter. Like, these candidates are just not a good fit for CoinGecko. So we have a PowerPoint slide component. We start giving more assignments in there. Like, you know, like, like you know, someone who's applying for a role in, in growth or marketing, for example, got to do like, write some, you know, a long essay on, on, on pitching a journalist, for example, or some other things. Um, we make them do assignments. We make them do things. And, and the, the bar to get in is tough. I wouldn't say it's easy uh, coming in. But we realize that when it's tough, we do really filter for the right candidate and uh, to, to come in, I suppose. And that makes a big difference. I love our new joiners. Uh, you know, it, we, and, and one of the things that we ask ourselves as well uh, when we bring someone in, we have uh, a question in our applicant tracking system. It says that, does this person raise the bar? So if the answer is no, then why are we really looking to hire this guy uh, or girl, for example? Uh, if, if, if it, is there a reason why we, we need this role, for example? Most of the time, the answer has to be yes. Like this person is better than the average that we have in, in the company. And over time, as we scaled the company up, like we realized that the people that we bring in are higher and higher caliber. And, and now like everyone's kind of operating at a very high, high, high level. 
So what you shared was, I think, pretty useful for many people who are looking to hire. Because hiring is always a black box for many, right? And everyone has their own different methodologies. But the key takeaways that I got from you is, number one, you really need to weed out the people who are serious and not serious. And one of the effective ways you can do that is to give them like a homework, right? Like to describe, you know, a key concept within the space. And if they actually make the effort to research or they already know the answers, it tells you that, hey, um, this person is really like uh, serious and has spent time to, you know, understand like what is going on because afterwards you mentioned the the best hires that you have are the ones who not only are good in their jobs but also passionate about the um, crypto space as well and the second question that you use to guide your decision making is really can this person you know elevate the, the standards of um, our present workforce today so these are the two key takeaways that i got from you talking about um this you know i'm just wondering because we are all work in progress and you know leadership is something kind of new to you that you have picked up over the years. Could you describe a growth area uh, as a leader that you have identified for yourself? I think as you move up the leadership, uh, communication becomes very important. And I think uh, trying to communicate uh, effectively is something that uh, every leader should possess. I would say that if that's, that's something that I, I, I should improve as well, communication, uh, how to communicate effectively uh, and communicate effectively uh, I think involves you know selling a company vision for example why why you should join a company why the work that you're doing is important why this is going to be you know game changer or life changing whatever it is right and and narrating the vision involves a component of storytelling how do you incorporate a storytelling element into uh, the narr the narrative narration is, is very important and I wouldn't say that I'm, I'm very good at storytelling but that is something that I would want to improve uh, because it helps in uh, uh, communications and uh, for, for communications, I would say, yeah. I think you're being too humble because, you know, I felt that the way you described your story was uh, quite captivating. In fact, like I was actually like um, <laughs> super engaged throughout this whole conversation. So definitely you, you seem to have communication and storytelling, um, uh, you know, it's like a, a good skill, right? And definitely, of course, um, as with everything, there's always uh, space to improve. I'm curious to, you know, understand a little bit more about um, the current situation, right? Because, you know, as, as, as we know right now is what uh, many people are calling the crypto winter. So what is your main focus for the organization uh, right now at this point in time? Yeah, I think, I think you know, a lot of people are kind of fixated with the price action of cryptocurrency. So people look at the price of Bitcoin or price of Ethereum. When it's up, like, okay, everything's good. When it's down, like, okay, uh, nothing's going well and everything's going to going down the drain, for example. But that's not really the case, right? I think that's a separation between the price action of the cryptocurrency and the tech development that's going on behind the scenes. And regardless of the price action, uh, you can be sure that there's a lot of activity, a lot of development going on behind the scene for Ethereum, Solana, and, and all the other, a lot of, for many of them, not, not all, obviously, some of them are just dead, they're scams, for example, but uh, a lot of the crypto companies, the good ones are actively developing. And that's kind of the same for us as well, right? So during the winter, uh, we are actively trying to build new features, uh, solidifying the, the, the infrastructure, clearing out tech debt, that was incurred during the, the bull run and basically preparing for the next cycle. And the cycle generally works every, uh, it moves up and down, uh, works in a four-year cycle, at least from historical precedence. Things may change in the future, but we don't know how much. But um, I think we are probably halfway in this uh, bear cycle period and then eventually things will turn back up uh, again. And then and, and we want to be sure that we are ready to embrace that uh, that the bull market when, when it comes again. 
So it's kind of like using this period to prepare for, you know, the upcoming uh, bull run, which you expect to be like, you know, maybe in a few few years from now. Uh, I'm sure that this is not like, sorry? I wouldn't say it's a few years from now, probably like late 2023 20, or 2024, who knows, but but yeah. <laughs> I'm sure this is not like your first winter because you mentioned you've been through quite a few winters already. Um, what would you describe as like the lowest point in, in, in your life and what helped you get out of it? I mean, I could say uh, there was a low point for CoinGecko. I mean, we were thinking of selling the company back in 2016, I would say. I mean, as I told you the story before, uh, bought Bitcoin in, we got into crypto in 2013. Uh, Bitcoin was at its peak in, I think, January 2014 or so, $1,200. And then over the next two years, it went down to to $300. Uh, there was no advertiser. There were no new people coming into the space. So everybody, I mean, the, the peak of the bear market was a core developer of Bitcoin. even announced that Bitcoin is dead and he's leaving Bitcoin. So we... I mean, we felt at one point that everybody, a lot of companies at that stage were kind of dying and we wanted to sell the company as well. At one point, we put out some, you know, uh, got a friend to kind of take a look to see if there's any interest in, in, in buying a company. No, nobody in a crypto space had any cash to buy a company. So even though it was a very low price, like nobody just had the money. So like, yeah, okay, just left it be. So so I guess there was a blessing in disguise, I suppose, uh, because not selling the company because there wasn't any buyer was a good thing because we wouldn't be here with the... I wouldn't be here between CoinGecko if we had found a successful buyer back then. So I guess it was low at a point in time, running out of cash, running out of... Uh, it was really depressing, I would say. Um, I think it's kind of like... if this It's kind of like now, I guess, Crypto Winter, seeing every coin that you have going down 85 90% in value. Uh, it's like that. And then it's the same for websites like CoinGecko as well. Uh, seeing all your stats go down 85, 90% as well. So the number of page views, amount of revenue. And, and we are kind of seeing this in this cycle as well. But going through back then for the first time was kind of like shocking, I suppose. I guess now we, we kind of gone through two times. So we know what to expect. Like we know that the traffic is going to go down 90%. Revenue is going to go down 90%. Uh, everything's going to go down 90%. We just have to just hang on and wait for the next cycle. But going through back then was, was, was a tough lesson. Uh, and, and, and yeah, that, that was kind of low, I suppose, yeah. Thank, thanks for sharing that. And I, I, it sounds like it's kind of still the conviction in the future that keeps you um, going. You know, conviction, yes, but also it was very hard to stay convinced when you have all your, 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 your peers either, you know, they, and you start seeing this cycle as well, they either leave the industry or they, you know, go bankrupt, for example, or they just cannot raise an around and then they slowly just churn off. It, you want to stay convinced, but but you, you sometimes question if you are being crazy or not. So uh, it's one of those close calls sometimes, I would say. I guess things are a lot different now. Like, you know, when you read about mainstream newspapers talking about Web3, you see politicians, you see bankers, you see a lot of smart people talking about crypto Web3. It's not as, you know, crazy to, you know, build an industry, build your name in this industry. But like, again, like always like to go back to 2015, 2016, like when the only news that you read in a newspaper is that Bitcoin is used by drug dealers for, and, and there was no other use case for crypto, you know, you really question yourself. You question, you go to your family, you go to your friends, they talk to them about, hey, you know, you're working in crypto. And I say, oh, isn't that thing used by some drug dealers to, to you know, money launder their, their proceeds? And, and, and that's, that's always very challenging. I felt that time was always very tough. I felt it was 
crazy. Uh, it was tough going around talking with you know, family or friends about you know, what you do or why you believe this is game changing. Nobody's going to buy anything that you say, I would say. It's quite um, interesting that you, you pointed out, right? Like going to friends and families and some people actually um, dismiss your idea and everything. So curious to understand actually, where do you get advice from? And how do you tell like if the advice is something that you should follow or not? Because clearly, as you described, like not all advice are equal. Yeah, I think I think generally, I like to read things online. Uh, so I always find like thought leaders and just read. I like to find books that are written in particular niches and uh, read them. And then I always like to. I mean, sometimes I do have calls with people who are at similar stages or and just you know, bounce some ideas. But generally, whatever advice or whatever things that I read, I always question them from first principles. And like, um, does that make sense to my particular situation, I suppose? Because their advice or their thoughts on a particular topic could be relevant to them at that point in time because things change. The stage of the company, the stage they are in, their financial situation, their timeline, uh, everything's... It could work well for them, but it could be different from my perspective, for example. And this goes on for you know everyone. I mean, you could ask a very simple question: What coin should I buy, for example? Uh, very simple question. Sounds like a very simple question, but but it really depends on a lot of factors. For example, if you are massively in debt, like you have massive credit card debt and all, like should you really be looking to buy Bitcoin or any other cryptocurrency? I don't know. Probably not. I mean, that said, there are some who say like, yeah, maybe you, it's like kind of buying a lottery ticket. You might just, you know, buy one of a smaller coin and if you hit it, good for you, you cover your credit card. But it's kind of gambling, you know, like every person is different. Like every question that sounds easy is not really, doesn't really have an easy answer. And, and whatever advice that is given, you really have to question to see if, it's, if it applies to you or not. I think what you provided was a great framework, right? Like in terms of like when you receive advice, it's not just about, you know, hearing from thought leaders and all that. What they suggest could not be applicable to your specific situation at that point in time. There's so many other variables to consider. And, and this applies to whatever I just said in this call as well, right? Like, um, I mean, I've said many different things that was applicable to me for my company at, this, at, at that particular point in time. But like, you know, things could be completely different for you who are listening in. Like, uh, you know, you shouldn't just say that, oh, because Bobby says he did this, like you should also follow it. No, like, I mean, everyone's different. Everyone's got their own uh, unique perspective, unique problems, and you have to think for yourself, I suppose, what works best for you. Correct, definitely. Thank you so much, uh, Bobby. We've come to the end. Um, ending off, before I, I close this, I just wanted to understand if you have any last things that you would like to share with you know the audience who is listening to, to this right now. Um, yeah, I guess I would say like, I, I guess I already said everything I wanted to say, but like just one last thing, like uh, I guess crypto is game changing. I'm com I'm completely completely convinced. Like the only best way to learn it is to just do it, uh, just play with it, get a metaverse wallet, and just like transact with it. You got to spend some money and try it. There's no other better way to learn. Uh, I mean, if you don't learn about crypto, it will come after you in the next ten years or so. Like it's gonna revolutionize every industry. So I guess that's that's one of my final takeaways. All right. Thank you so much, Bobby. Thank you.